0: been in a series for the last several weeks from the Gospel of Mark, and the whole point, uh, goal of this series has just been to preach through some of the key points, the key scriptures uh, in the Gospel of Mark that will ultimately culminate next week with the resurrection. And so uh, today we're in Mark chapter 14, so if you've got a Bible, flip over to Mark 14. Uh, the verses will be up on the screen here in just a minute, but we're going to read about a battle that is waged over Christ in the final days of His life. We're we're at the point in chronologically where it's we're at the end. Um, you we're not right to Palm Sunday, I guess so to speak, scripturally here yet, but we're right before that, and so so we're going to look at Mark chapter 14 verses 1 through 11, and and we're going to talk about a very interesting and intriguing character today. If you've looked at the back of your bulletin, you know that's Judas. But let's jump into the scriptures. Mark chapter 14, 14, starting at verse 1, it says, It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest Jesus by stealth and to kill him. For they said, Not during the feast, lest there be a tumult of the people. In other words, we don't want to do it right now because there's a lot of people and there's a lot of people that like Jesus. And if we do something to arrest him, we make a big scene, the people will riot and they'll revolt against us. And so they, they said, Not while there's a lot of people. And It says, and while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at a table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. But there were some who said to themselves indignantly, "Why was this ointment wasted? For this ointment might have been sold for more than three hundred denarii and given to the poor." Now remember the denarii we talked about last week—that was a, a silver coin. It was, it was about a day's worth of work that, that someone would be paid. So. I said, it was about 300 that worth that much. And they, being the disciples, reproached her. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do, you have, why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you will always have the poor with you. And whenever you will, you can do good to them. But you will not always have me. She's done what she could. She's anointed my body beforehand for burying. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priest in order to betray him to them. And when they, heard, when they heard it, they were glad, and they promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. Now there are a lot of mysteries of just human tragedy that have never been solved. They sort of taunt us with their unanswered questions. Think about like the assassination of JFK. Who, who, who did it? Who really did it? How did it happen? Why did it happen? I mean, there, it's just there's so much mystery around that. The assassination of Martin Luther King Jr., it, it has a lot of mystery because of, of the recanting of James Earl Ray and, and all the confusion that swirled around that. E- even something like the death of an actress like Marilyn Monroe. I mean, we don't know how she died or why she died. There's just all these unsolved mysteries, and, and their answers seem to lie just kind of like in a sealed vault that's in, in the depths of the ocean, never to be raised to light and, and, and never to be understood. That, that's kind of the mystery of Judas. He's a disciple of Jesus. And I don't think there's any other character in Scripture who presents as much complexity and intrigue than that of Judas. I mean, the very name just kind of stirs some emotion within us. For some of us, a very deep emotion. Think about this. How many of you know a child named Judas? Nobody, right? Well, you all y'all, y'all know one name. One, I wasn't expecting that. All right, that just ruins the whole illustration. I mean, nobody, nobody thinks about naming their, their kid Judas, right? You, you might name it Judah, and, and we know some Judas, but you know, the name Judas comes from Judah. It means God be praised. And yet this man, Judas, is the darkest character in all of Scripture. With the exception of the betrayal of Judas, we don't have any description of Judas other than this narrative, other than this account in Scripture. We don't have anything else of him. There's no other mention of him in terms of his actions or his discussions with Jesus uh, that, that might have been. We, we have very little to go on other than, than just a last, uh, comment at the Last Supper. So what does this story, this scriptural account, reveal about him? Are there any clues as to what drove Judas to commit probably the most despicable act in all of human history? Well, the starting place for our exploration of Judas is, is to go back to this scene, to reflect on that scene in which Jesus is within his final days of, li- of his life. He's at a meal at a home, and a woman comes anointing him with oil. And it stirs a very strong reaction by, by a lot of people, and not all of that is positive. It reveals a struggle that's often present among God's people. You know, Many of us struggle with a, with a strongly utilitarian or, or practical faith. Some of those present objected strongly to, to the anointing. This, this ointment was a, a lavish gift of devotion. It, it said in the passage we just read that this ointment could have been sold for 300 denarii and, given, and that money given to the poor. Again, remember, we talked about what a, den, a denarii was last week. Um, it was a silver coin, and 300 of those would have been nearly a year's worth of work, a year's wages. Because often, in ordinary labor, that's what they would have been paid for the day. They would have just been given this silver coin. Now, I don't know what the average American laborer makes in a year, but just, you know, humor me. We'll, we'll say $40,000. We'll just, maybe more, maybe less. I, I don't know. But, but imagine somebody bringing in about $40,000 worth of, of an oil and ointment and a jar and breaking that open and anointing Jesus with it. You'd get a strong reaction, wouldn't you? And there was a strong reaction there. There's a temptation for all of us just to, to reduce our faith to a very practical matter. When, when I was growing up, my home church in Willisburg, they were, they were building a new church building. And our previous building would have been very similar to the to the chapel building. It, it was about the same size and, and kind of had the same look to it. And and the building that they built was much bigger and, and much nicer. It was a big improvement. It was a beautiful building. It is still a beautiful building. And there were many critics, though, uh, of building such a bigger nicer building. I mean, how could you justify spending so much money on a building when, when that money could be used to, for missions and, and to the poor and so many other things? I'm sure there were the same criticisms for, for you all when this building was built. I mean, how can you justify building such a big building like this, right? There, there are many conscientious reasons why we struggle to, to be wise stewards, we, we know the needs are immense, but the needs are always going to be there. We don't want to waste God's resources by, by any means. We, we think often about you know, twice, ten, even twenty times before we invest our money in anything other than the necessity. But let me just say this to you. The tension between giving God your best in worship and in other ways and giving to God's work is always going to be with us. Look, there's always going to be needs. There's always going to be something else that we can put money to. And I'm not saying we, we should just waste money. That's not my point at all. But there's always going to be this tension between what we should do here and what we can do over here. There's always that tension. If you're, if you're involved in any civil um, matters, you know, if you're you know, on a city council or Lions Club or, or whatever, you have that same tension. How, how do we justify spending this money when, when there's for this when there's a need over here? It, there's always that tension. But I want to say oft, oftentimes, I think that's simply a smokescreen. The disciples, they criticized this woman. They said, how dare she do something like this? They, they re- reproached her, which means they, they rebuked her. They looked at her and they said, woman, why are you doing this? Why are you wasting your money like that on Jesus? And what was Jesus' response? Leave her alone. It, it's as if he says to the disciples, you self-righteous hypocrites... I mean, you, you say you love the poor, but you attack a poor woman. You, you say you want to have compassion on the poor, but you humiliate her in front of everybody. You say you value honoring my name, but you despise her when she does something that honors me. I mean, it's like, how can you say that you, you want to do something in the name of love for other people out there and not love the people who are right here? We live with this kind of tension. It's part of what it means to be human and, and to live in in within the dynamic of of need and glory ironically though jesus contradicts all of our assumptions he shows us that our idea of virtue is incomplete he shows us in this passage that the way we treat jesus is central to all of life look kindness to christ neither excludes nor denies kindness to others but isn't there a place for kindness to christ shouldn't there be a place For kindness to Christ, if there's not a place for for kindness to Christ, then then how do we honor him? When when we refuse Jesus' idea of of who he is and what his kingdom looks like, we will fall vulnerable to Satan. And in fact, I want to even move it a step further to show how how this relates to the issue that Judas was facing. Because this scene is complicated. I mean, this idea of a utilitarian faith, a very practical faith, it just becomes a smokescreen when we we look at the retelling of, of this passage of Scripture in John. In John chapter 12, we have a similar story. It's the same account, but, but John just tells it a little differently. He says this, John chapter 12, he says, Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. And in this passage, we learn that Martha served uh, while, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with Jesus. But, but John says this, he says, Then Mary took out a, about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected, Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. And then if you go down to verse 6, John can't resist putting his own little commentary in there. He says this, he says, Judas did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He was a, as, as keeper of the money back. He used it to help himself to what was put into it. So Judas has kind of altered motives, Right. He says, let's, let's sell this instead of giving it to Jesus. Instead of pointing it out to Jesus, let's sell it and give it to the poor. But really, we're going to sell it and we're going to put the money in the treasury bag. And I'll just help myself to it occasionally. That, that's his motive. Th- this scene is complicated, too, by the fact that Judas is the primary objector. It says the disciples object, but nobody, but nobody else is mentioned as, as an objector. Judas is the primary objector. And, And he's going to use the needs of the poor to satisfy his desire for his own needs. At this point, we're moving beyond just a theoretical discussion of stewardship. Should we spend all that money on a building or or should we give it all away for missions? We're we're moving beyond those kind of theoretical discussions and and we're getting into matters of eternal significance. Because in Judas, we see that that our expectations can drive us further away from Jesus. Judas's reaction arose from his refusal to allow Jesus to reshape his idea of what God should be like, of what the kingdom of God was going to be like. He refused to allow Jesus to reshape his expectations. You know, people have often been intrigued by, by the complexity of, of Judas' motives. If, if, you stu- if you study Judas, you'll come up with, with about five or six different reasons of why he was such a complex character. I mean, there, there's all kinds of reasons, but here's just a couple. I mean, it's covetousness. He, he was stealing for the, from the treasury for his own good. He, he was probably putting away a little bit of a slush fund. You know? When Jesus came into his glory, when he, he establishes an earthly kingdom like they thought was going to happen, Judas would have a stash that he could begin drawing on, and, and few people would notice that in that kind of setting. I mean, there's all this other stuff going on. There's a new kingdom, and, and nobody's really going to notice Judas taking a pinch here and there. Deceit. Judas was a deceitful person by nature. Look at how he trapped Jesus in the garden. There's jealousy Uh, it comes into play. Jesus was always taking Peter and James and John with him. Judas might have gotten a little bit out of shape. Well, why isn't he spending that time with me? Why isn't he doing this with me? How come come it's these three? Well, it's those three because that's who Jesus picked. I mean, do you need another reason? There's ambition. He, He wanted Jesus to establish a political kingdom in which he could have a major post. He wanted to be the secretary of the treasury. There's fear. Maybe his betrayal came because he was afraid that the plan of revolution was starting to fall apart. It looked like it was all crumbling in, and 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 nothing was going to go the way that he thought it was going to go. And maybe this was just the last straw for that. You know, Jesus wasn't going to bring in a kingdom like he was thinking. So so Judas begins to, hey, I'm going to look out for myself, and and I'll just turn in state's evidence, so to speak. And so so you know, he basically says, I want to be in good standing with somebody, and if it's not going to be Jesus and his kingdom, then I'll, it'll be with the Romans. And so, so he, he makes a plan to turn Jesus over. And maybe, hey, maybe they'll make me the secretary of their treasury. Wh- whatever his motives are, Luke tells us that, that he becomes vulnerable to Satan. And none of those things may have been, been a huge deal in, in and of themselves, you know, ambition and jealousy. Some of those things can look pretty petty. But it only takes a, a, a crack, a small little crack, to allow the evil one to come in and, and to begin to use us to bring conflict and, and division and destruction. And it might be a seemingly virtuous crack, as, such as the conflict that, that many of us have seen over a building fund. Look, Judas was consumed by, by lesser things that distracted him from Jesus. Jesus. My, my concern when we look at Judas is that our fascination with him is with all the other issues. You know, why, why did he do what he did? Is he in heaven? Did God forgive him? What about his suicide? Was that, was that a type of atonement? Look, all of those issues, they, they can take us away from, from, I think, the spiritual message that we're meant to get from his life. In fact, the silence of the Bible on, many, on those uh, questions should quiet our speculations. Where, where the Bible doesn't say much, we shouldn't presume much. Look, there are many mysteries of the human heart that are buried in the ocean that, that will never see the light until God brings them up from the depths. But here's what we should understand about Judas, is that he portrays the idolatry of our desires. It's easy to idolize our desires and want our way. Judas's actions most, most likely stemmed from, from the rage of a scorned dream. He, he had a preconceived notion of what the kingdom of God was going to be like, of what the Messiah should do and be. They, they were expecting Jesus to, to establish an earthly kingdom, to, to throw Rome out, to, to get rid of all the scribes and the Pharisees, to set up a righteous, well-working city council and, and kingdom. And Judas, Judas wanted to be a part of that. And he felt he should be rewarded for that. Look, he had an agenda for God. And he wanted it fulfilled at all costs. And Judas saw Jesus as a cause instead of as the Christ. He, he saw Christ as a cause instead of a person. And when we create God in our own image, we feel driven to destroy any competitor that will unmake our mold. Uh, don't miss that. Look, uh, we're not all that different from Judas in that regard. We, we have our own expectations of God. We create God in our image, not that we were created in His image. But we try and create God in our image. And and we have these preconceived notions and expectations of what God should and shouldn't do in our life and and why God should do this and why God shouldn't do that and why he should bless me and and punish that person. We have all of these expectations for God. We have our own agendas for God. And when we create God in our image, we we will stop at nothing to destroy any competitor that will unmake that mold, even if it's God himself. Why did people get so angry at Jesus? Because he was telling the truth? No, 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 no. Because he didn't confirm what they already believed. That's why God. That's why people were always upset with Jesus. You, you read the Gospels and, and everywhere Jesus goes, somebody seems to be getting upset with him, right? And who's it usually the one getting upset with him? The people that, that didn't like what he had to say. The people that, that he didn't confirm their truth, so to speak. If you really want to learn from Jesus and He tells you something unsettling, you don't throw Him out. You throw your wrong thoughts out, right? If you read the Scriptures and there's something in the Scripture and you go, you know, I think I disagree with that, guess who's wrong, <laughs> right? It's not the Scriptures, right? You get rid of those thoughts that you have. There was one congregation I served in. There was a couple that came to me that when I was still fairly new at the church and and they were well-known in, in the community. They were respected for their teaching. They were also very financially well-off, and they made that pretty known. They, they told me not long after I started there that how much that they annually gave to the church, and it was a significant amount. But I learned later why they told me that, because they wanted a, a different role in the church. They wanted to move up into a leadership position, but they weren't necessarily... Um, right for the position that they wanted. And when they didn't get that position, they left the church in in really just an ugly way. Here's what I learned from that situation. I I discovered that sometimes I I want to use even the church to put forward my cause rather than the cause of Christ. And that's what Judas wanted. Unless God sifts false expectations from our lives, we will demand things of God that he never intended to give, and we will reject the greater gifts that God has to offer us. In contrast, Judas's false expectations stand the witness of this woman's anointing and the gift of her worship. She surrendered to what she had to Jesus' purposes. Now, she, she didn't have much that, w- that we know of other than this alabaster jar, but she gave everything that she had. And wherever Jesus went, whatever Jesus did, she sought to honor His ends, not her own. She teaches us that we honor Jesus as a person, not as a cause. There, there are a couple of fascinating contrasts between this woman and Judas. The first one is this. Is Judas's greed versus Mary's generosity. She gives Jesus the equivalent of, 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 a, of 300 pieces of silver. And I say the words pieces of silver because what did Judas agree to betray Jesus for? For 30 pieces of silver. She gives Jesus 300 pieces of silver and Judas betrayed him for a tenth of that. There, there's Judas's uh, covert deception versus Mary's open act of worship. She doesn't care who sees. She doesn't care what people think of her. The, all she sees is Jesus and I'm going to worship him in whatever way I need to. I don't care what other people think about me. I don't care if they think I'm wasting my money. But, but Judas, he kind of slinks around in the background, doesn't he? He goes off in the secret to make plans to, to betray Jesus. There, there's Jesus, Judas's pride. Versus Mary's humiliation. She humbles herself in front of, of everybody that's there. This woman anoints Jesus' feet and then wipes them dry with her hair. Even in today's world, that would be tremendously humbling. There, there's Judas's cool detachment versus Mary's unmeasured devotion. Judas was calculating and watching, always keeping himself above the fray. Mary cared for Christ through worship. She gave her best. And Jesus said this about her, her deeds will be remembered. Wherever the gospel is preached, her story will be told. She reminds us that, that caring for Jesus through worship and giving of our best is important. And, and we can lose that perspective, we can lose that balance. But, but this woman warns us, especially if we see Christ as a cause instead of a person. I can't tell you how many times we, 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 we are guilty of this as a church, that we see Christianity or that label As as the cause, and and we even say that for for the cause of Christianity. No, 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 not for the cause of Christianity, for the sake of Jesus, for his name's sake, not for our name's sake or anybody else's, but for the sake of Jesus. So let me ask you this as we wrap up. What's Jesus mean to you? Is he he a cause or is he an ideal? If you say, well, I I follow the principles of, of Jesus. Well, most people will respect you for that. But if you say, I'm a follower of Jesus, you see the difference? There's a a difference there. False expectations put put the cause ahead of the person. Judas wanted to to see that perfume sold and given to others because, frankly, he was embarrassed by that kind of devotion and that kind of emotion. He he was embarrassed by that. I'm sure Judas kind of turned his head and he chuckled a little bit at that sort of open expression of love. Judas sought to gain personal wealth and political power and prestige. And if we seek those things apart from Christ, we'll never find peace. I'm not saying that those things are bad. But if we seek them apart from Jesus, we'll we'll never be at rest. In this passage, I I find an entirely different mystery. The the mystery to Judas. The mystery to me is is not why he did what he did, why he betrayed. The mystery to me is why he never let Jesus in. I mean, think about this. Jesus invited him to be one of his followers. He, he invited him into his inner circle. He was one of the twelve. He, he prayed over him. He taught him in secret when there was nobody else but, 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 but Judas and the other eleven disciples there. He entrusted him with their finances. He, he washed his feet. He even gave him that, that privileged piece of bread at the Last Supper. Jesus did everything that he could to say to, to Judas, open your heart and let me in. And the mystery to me is that Judas said no. Honestly, that's the mystery to me still for a number of people. is Why are people saying no to Jesus? Why are people saying no to Jesus? Because Jesus offers us something that nothing else can offer us. Hope and peace. I don't know how people who go through difficult times, how they make it through those difficult times without Jesus. I don't know how they get through those times because, uh, uh, because they have no hope. You see, G- Jesus offers us the one thing that nothing else in this world can offer. us not money, not, not a good job, not, not, a, not a pretty spouse, not any, anything else. He offers us hope for eternity. So let me ask you, what are you doing with Jesus? It is, are we asking the same thing? About you, the, the same mystery? Do we have the same mystery for you? Or have or have you unraveled the mystery and let Jesus in? Because Scripture tells us that He stands at the, at the door of our hearts and knocks. But He's not going to pry His way in. He will come in if you let Him. So what are you doing with Jesus? Are you, are you letting Him in or are you just shutting Him out? When, when people speak of you in the past tense, will they say, the mystery to me is... They never let Jesus in. Or will they say, you know, it's no mystery to me why they were so happy, why they were so at peace, because they had hope because of Jesus. Choice is yours. It's all up to you. You can let Jesus in or you can shut him out. You can be uh, a person who has great peace and and security and, and all of the things that we hope for and strive for, or you can be like Judas and have none of those things. And just be surrounded by mystery. But the choice is yours. Let me pray for us.